Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Let me invite you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 9. We'll pick up with verse 13 and go through verse 34. A little bit of a lengthy passage, but it's all kind of all tied together. John chapter 9, verses 13 through 34. Allow me to be reading this. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, He applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. And the Jews then did not believe it was him that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who received his sight and questioned them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? And his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. And who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God, for we know that this man is a sinner. And then he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? They reviled him and said, You are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as far as this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Well, here is an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man, of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not, he could do nothing. And they answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and you are teaching us. So they put him out. Let's bow together again. Dear Lord, we see a man, Lord, who had been physically blind his entire life, yet his eyes were open. Then we see others whose physical eyes have been open, but now they're spiritually blind. Lord, help us to see the disparity and the need for the spiritual blind for their eyes to be opened. Lord, help us to be found faithful and bold in our witness so that they may hear, so that your spirit may touch their hearts, so that they may see 
the truth of your salvation in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Dealing with a blind man that sees, but these spiritual leaders remain blind. If, if anything, they get blinder. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that like to kind of flex their intellectual muscle and try to kind of belittle other people. They, they like to get into debates and try to make the other person look stupid. Or whatever it is that they want to debate, they have this skill level of, of trying to prove themselves and try to, to demean the thoughts and the beliefs of another person. And if they're intellectual enough, sometimes it's just their political clout or their, their social clout. Do you know who I am? You know, that type of thing. Trying to badger the person into accepting what they have said. Well, that's pretty much what these Pharisees were doing. They were brilliant people. They had gained their uh, positions because they were students of the law. They could probably quote the first five books of the Bible. Pentateuch, the laws of Moses, they knew it. Inside, outside, upside, downside. They knew it. And they were masters of it. They knew how to debate. They knew how to teach. They knew how to flex their intellectual as well as their social muscle. See, their social muscle was that they were the leaders of Judaism. They were the ones who made the laws and enforced the laws. They had taken the simple laws of Moses, which really are not simple. They're pretty complex. And then they added thousands and thousands and thousands of other little laws that they used to kind of quantify the what the Mosaic law actually said. How do you keep the Mosaic law? Well, here's a thousand ways to keep it. And so that's who we're dealing with here. These men who are highly educated and had very strong social positions were about to badger this man and try to get him to accept their thoughts instead of his own thoughts. And so we look and we see, you know, that happens a lot today. There's a lot of people in our world today that they think they're highly intelligent and that whatever they say must be taken as truth, whether it's true or not. And if you don't go along with what they say, you're going to be ostracized, you're going to be made fun of, you're going to be pushed away from you know, any social thing that they may be a part of. But here's the crux. Look at verses 13 and 14. They brought the fair, to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Heaven forbid that Jesus would do such a thing on the Sabbath. Well, this isn't the first time Jesus did something miraculous on the Sabbath. He healed another man that was lame on the Sabbath. He and his disciples went through a field one day and they reached out their hands because they were hungry and, and actually gathered some of the grains of wheat. And they rubbed it in their hands and blew the shaft away and they nibbled on the grains. Well, that's called reaping. That's against the Sabbath law. See, it wasn't against Moses' law, the laws that God handed down through Moses. It was against the Pharisees' law that they had added on and tacked on as ways to keep the Sabbath. And so, why did Jesus do that? Why would Jesus heal another man on the Sabbath. He already he had already faced the Pharisees over this once before, so why did he do it again? Because Jesus is not afraid of the Pharisees. Jesus knows he is the Lord of the Sabbath, and he also knows that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So he's proven a point. He has no concerns about what these Pharisees believe. 
Now, why did these people bring this blind man to the Pharisees? He'd already given them his testimony of what took place. But nobody really could fully comprehend that a man born blind can now see. And so I guess they wanted to take him to the Pharisees to get their take on it. How could this possibly happen? And so the Pharisees now have an opportunity to ask this man. So we began the inquisition. Folks, they weren't just asking questions. They, they were controlling the situation. Picking up verse 15, then the Pharisees also were asking him how he regained his sight. And he just simply said, he applied clay to my eyes and I wash and I see. Very simple. But here's what they say. Therefore, the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Immediately, they began controlling the conversation. I don't care who you think this man is. His name may be Jesus. That's who you claim did this. But he cannot be from God. Why? Because he has broken the precious Sabbath laws. Well, he did not break the laws of Moses. He broke their add-on laws. See, they had said, well, what does it take to break the Sabbath? And so they actually set up distances that you could walk on the Sabbath. If you walked a step further than that, you had broken the Sabbath. They actually determined how much weight you could actually hold in your hands on the Sabbath without breaking the law of the Sabbath. You could not even cook on the Sabbath. You had to prepare your meals the evening before so that you could have food the next day. could not wash a dish on the Sabbath. could not knead bread on the Sabbath. You basically couldn't do hardly anything on the Sabbath. And so, Jesus needed on the Sabbath. What? Well, yeah, he spit on the ground, took the dirt and the spittle, and he put it together and kneaded it and made clay out of it. And then he did something else wrong. He rubbed that clay on a man's eyes. That was breaking the Sabbath law. Did you know that in many uh, situations, unless it was a life or death situation, that even some type of medication could not be administered on the Sabbath? That was breaking the Sabbath law. So Jesus broke a whole bunch of laws that day, according to the Pharisees. So we look and we see that the Pharisees have hated Jesus from a long time ago. Very early in his ministry, he came in and cleansed the temple. That began their hatred of him. Uh, Many other things took place. Everything Jesus said and did basically was putting the Pharisees in their place, stating, you know, know, they're they're whitewashed tombs. They were a brood of vipers and a number of other things that he and his disciples said about the Pharisees that didn't go very well with them. And so they had it in for Jesus. They hated him. They could not comprehend that he truly could possibly be the Messiah, the Christ. And so they were doing everything they could to discredit him. And so after repeating his testimony, they tried again to discredit Jesus. Well, I don't care what he did, how he did it. He is a sinner. He cannot be from God. Why? Because he broke the laws of the Sabbath, at least according to our interpretation. And so... One of the few times that we actually see some disagreement uh, among the Pharisees, one of the, at least one of the Pharisees spoke up and said, yeah, but how could a sinner do such a miraculous sign if he was not from God? Well, that may have been Nicodemus. It could have been 
another that had some compassion towards Jesus. We don't know who it was. But he was quickly drowned out because what we see next is that the Pharisees, again, just take control of the situation. They drown him out and they say, okay, you're saying they healed you. Well, what's your take on this man? What do you think about this man? You know, if they're basically having a court of law. They're, they're questioning this man. They're interrogating him. You know, one of the first things that a lawyer is supposed to learn is don't ask a question unless you know what the answer is going to be. Well, they asked a question. They didn't know what the answer was going to be. And the man said, he is a prophet. Now, why would he say he's a prophet? Because Jesus was the closest thing to a prophet this man probably ever knew. Now, just because this man was blind didn't mean he was deaf. More than likely, he had been uh, had heard the, the rabbis and the Pharisees and others teaching and preaching through the word of God. He had heard about the prophets. He had heard all the things that they did and said. He knew that Elijah and Elisha had even raised people from the dead and done miraculous signs. So his only concept of this man was that he must be like the Old Testament prophets, that he was empowered by God to do miracles. So his only way of looking at this man, even though he didn't even know what he looked like, was he must be a prophet. Well, that didn't go over very well either. Uh, they just could not handle this man's testimony. So they find another way to try to discredit this man. They start searching for some possible way that they could say this is all a farce. And so they began wondering, is this really the man who was born blind? And so they bring in the man's parents. And they say, look at this man. Is he truly your son? Yes, he's our son. Can you testify that he was truly born blind? Yes, he was born blind and has been blind ever since. Well, then how is it possible that this man now sees? Well, they were willing to answer the first two because they were factual didn't, didn't mean that they were saying anything against the beliefs of the Pharisees. But they weren't about to say who or how his eyes were open. The reason why is they knew that these Pharisees hated Jesus. And they knew that Jesus was the one that healed their son. They also knew that one thing. Anybody that lifted Jesus up as deity, worshipped him, or thought that he possibly could be the Christ, the Messiah, would be excommunicated. Now, we struggle with that because, you know, very few churches excommunicate members anymore. And if they do, you know what that person does? They just go to another church. Nobody ever thinks another thing about it. As long as they're not here, they go anywhere else. It doesn't matter. The excommunication was a little different. When you were excommunicated from uh, the Jewish faith, you could not enter the temple. You could not enter to any synagogue in any town. And basically, you lost your entire social status. Because if you were on the bad list of the Pharisees, then no law-abiding Jew would have anything to do with you. Whatever craft or whatever livelihood you had became nothing because no one would hire you or come to you for services. 
and they would no longer associate with you because by associating with you, you would basically become an enemy of the Pharisees just by association. So you were basically treated as a leper. You were an outcast. You were a nobody. Now, does this man worry about this? He's pretty much been an outcast. People have pretty much shunned him his entire life. He's a nobody in society, so he's not too concerned. But his parents, we don't know much about his parents, but his parents are concerned. They don't want to be kicked out of the status of life. They don't want to be kicked out of the synagogues and the temple. They don't want to lose their livelihood. And so they basically pass the button and say, how he was healed, who he who healed him, we don't know, we don't know how. But, you know, he's of age. He's an adult man. Ask him yourself. He can speak for himself. So they dodged the bullet, and I guess they left. And so the Pharisees called the man back in. Their last strategy didn't work. They thought that maybe they could prove that Jesus or some of his disciples had set up a scheme to bring a man that looked like this blind man and pose him as a man who once was blind but now is able to see. That was blown out of the water when his own parents testified that that was the man. And so we see the second inquisition, beginning with verse 24. They bring the man back in and they say, they command him to, to give an oath. Give glory to God. Give, glory, give God the glory. Give God the glory. Now, what are they saying by that? Well, there's two different ways of looking at that. First, they're saying, give only God the glory for your return or your sight being given. Don't give it to this man named Jesus. But there's evidence in the Old Testament that this phrase was actually used kind of like what we have here in our own courts of law. Sometimes they'll tell you to put your hand on the raise your right hand, put your left hand on the Bible and say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's basically what this would have been. In other words, this man now knew he was not just being asked questions. He was being tried. He was on trial by these Pharisees. Now, they were doing their due diligence to try to get him to not use the name of Jesus, but only give God the glory. But either way, this man knew that he was on trial. Now, the Pharisees used a, a manner of debate, a way of trying to prove themselves. Uh, it basically consisted of this. There was a major premise, a minor premise, and then a conclusion. If the two premises were true, then the conclusion had to be true. And so here was their major premise. Men of God keep the Sabbath. The minor premise was Jesus does not keep the Sabbath. So the conclusion is Jesus is not of God. Makes sense, right? Problem is, the second premise is not true. They thought it was true, but it isn't. Jesus does not keep the Sabbath. He did keep the Sabbath. He did not keep their laws of the Sabbath. Well, they come up with another one. Major premise, Jesus is a sinner. The minor premise, God does not hear sinners. Conclusion, God cannot listen to Jesus. Therefore, he is not of God. So, this man is standing his ground. He's basically saying, you know, well, not Jesus is a sinner. I have no way of knowing. All I know is this. And here is an important thing that he knows. I was blind, but now I see. 
Now, folks, he was physically blind, but now he sees physically. But those words ought to be our testimony as well. I once was blind, but now I see. But we talk about it spiritually. I once did not know Jesus the way I should. I was lost in my sin. I was blinded by my sin. But now God has opened my eyes and I see the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And I see him as my Savior and my Lord. What a powerful testimony this man was sharing. You know, Pharisees badger him some more. They cannot believe this man's testimony. They don't know how to respond. They're basically trying to call him a liar. Well, they ask him again, Well, how were you made? How did you get your sight? Now, here's another thing that if you watch any of the cop shows or the uh, you know legal type things, you see a suspect, he's brought in for questioning. And there's usually two cops that are questioning him. And they keep questioning him with the same questions, but from different angles. They try to trip him up to change his testimony in some form or fashion. And if they can get him to change his story in the least little bit, they say, aha, you're lying to us. So everything that you've said to us is a lie. And so they're doing the good cop, bad cop type situation. And they're trying to get trip this man up in his testimony. Said, now, how is it again that you gained your sight? He said, I've told you, I've told you, you're not listening. I've told you how Jesus gave me my sight. Now, something he says next, you just have to chuckle. Now, I preach out of the New American Standard, and I know it's not the only uh, version of the Bible in this sanctuary. Most uh, versions of the Bible say, do you want to become his disciple too? Now, the New American Standard says it this way. You don't want to become a disciple of his also, do you? In other words, he is just flabbergasted that these men are asking these questions about Jesus who healed him of his sight, of his blindness. He says... The way you're talking, I can't believe that you could possibly want to be one of his disciples, but the way you're asking these questions, maybe you do. Well, they didn't like that. They said, you must be one of his disciples. You must be a kind of a secret disciple. We just didn't know it for all these years. We're not his disciples. We're disciples of Moses. We know that Moses spoke to God and God spoke to Moses. We know that Moses was a man of God. But this Jesus, we don't know anything about him. We don't even know where he's from. Well, the whole three years of Jesus' ministry, anytime he had an opportunity to speak with the Pharisees, he basically said, I am from above. I am sent from God. I am of God. But yet, all they could look at was his physical status. And the way they looked at Jesus is that he was the illegitimate son of Mary and Joseph, And they assumed that he was from Nazareth, a no-name place, that he could not possibly be God the Son, the Messiah. And so they continued to deny the power of Christ. They continued to debate this man, try to convince him that no way could this man be of God. But here's basically what the man says. 
Pick up with verse 30. The man answered them, Well, here is an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know, now listen to this, he uses their own strategy. He uses a major and a minor premise and then a conclusion. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him, the major and minor. Now, since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Conclusion. He did something. He opened my eyes. He did something that no one has ever seen possible since the beginning of time. There's no record anywhere that a man born blind was given sight. He says in the major premise, we know that God does not hear sinners. Minor premise, if any man is a God-fearer and does his will, he hears him. And therefore, since God heard him, enabled him to heal me in my blindness, he is of God. Now, folks, that man had some guts. Maybe it was that he already felt like an outcast and he didn't feel like it was going to hurt him in the least bit if he got excommunicated. He really didn't care. All he knew was that I was once blind through my entire life, but now I see. All I know is that a man named Jesus spit on the ground, made clay out of the dirt, rubbed it on my eyes, told me to go to the pool of Siloam and to wash, and when I came back, I had sight. That's all I know. That's all I care about. I'm not going to give anybody other than this man named Jesus the credit for what he did. If the crux of the matter is that he's a sinner and he couldn't do this, I'm standing proof that he did do it. So my belief is that if God does not hear sinners, but he hears those who are God-fearing, then this man must be God-fearing because God heard him and he healed me of my sins. Now... What do the Pharisees do now after that testimony? They do their last bit to try to discredit him. They kick him out. They excommunicate him. He is no longer allowed to be in the the, uh, temple or the synagogues. He didn't have a job to lose. He didn't have a social status to lose. But basically, by doing this, they are telling the entire Jewish community, you are not to have any dealings with this man. We deem him as a liar. We deem him as a blasphemer against God. He is not to be heard. He's not to be trusted. He's not to be dealt with. He is a total outcast. Treat him like a leper. Do not have anything to do with him. In other words, they were doing their best to silence his testimony. Now, what does that mean to us? No. hard to believe, but our world is becoming more and more anti-Christian. Persecution against Christianity is, is rising rapidly. And not only in the world around us, but in America. Things that you would not have dreamed could have been said about a Christian a decade ago are on front page news now. We are being attacked left and right. Do we have the boldness of this man to stand toe-to-toe with those who want to discredit us, 
Are we willing to worry about and not worry about our social status, our jobs, anything else to tell the truth about Jesus? Are we willing to, to share the gospel even if it means being persecuted? Are we ready to share our faith with anyone who has a question about why we believe what we believe? You know, there are, there are times where we might could go through a, a series of studies where we could learn how to debate, how to share certain things. But here's the simple fact. You don't need that. You simply need the Holy Spirit of God in you. Let me read a couple of passages. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 through 22. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculation, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. This is the prophecy of the persecutors. Paul was writing about it. That's 2,000 years ago. It's just continued to compound since then. Well, why are they so spiritually blind? 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? We need to have pity on the people that attack us because they are blind spiritually. The only way they could possibly gain spiritual sight is to hear the gospel and for the Holy Spirit to draw them to salvation. But how will they hear unless we speak? We are God's ambassadors. Each and every one of us as a true child of God has a testimony of how God came to us, showed us our sins, saved us from our sins, and transformed us into a child that belongs to Him. We have surrendered our lives to the Lordship of Christ. We now live according to His will for our lives, striving to live in obedience to the Lord. How that happened in your life is your personal testimony. That's what we can share. Whether they believe it or not, them and God. You can't make a person believe something they don't want to believe. But then we can say, has anything like this ever happened to you? Can't say it has. Well, can I share with you how it could? And folks, there, you can keep a track in your pocket or your pocketbook and pull it out and say, let me just share this with you. Or you can have a, a very simple plan of salvation like the Roman road memorized where you can share that. Or you can say, you know, let me set up a time where you can talk to my pastor. He'd be glad to share with you how you can have that relationship with Christ. Be glad to do that. Invite them to church where they're going to hear a message like this. Only God can save a person. But our world around us is blind. Spiritually blind. We ought to have pity on them. We shouldn't be mad. We shouldn't want to condemn them to hell. We should desire that somehow that God's Spirit would break through to their hardened hearts and give them spiritual sight. This man stood toe-to-toe with the toughest interrogators in the world that day. 
and he came out of victory. And let me tell you something. At this moment, he doesn't even know who Jesus is. He has not surrendered to Jesus as Lord. That happens next week. So be back for next week. He simply told the truth. He wasn't willing to back away from the truth. How about us? Are we willing to share the truth and not be willing to back away from it? Jesus is the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one come to the Father but through me. Let us be found faithful. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you. Well, the first thing we need to do is repent for the many opportunities we've had to share the gospel, to share our personal testimony with the blind, the spiritually blind around us, and have failed to do that. Lord, right now we desire to surrender our lives anew to you. So that as we leave this place, that you will open our hearts and our spiritual eyes to see the ones who need to hear what you've placed on our hearts to share. Lord, let it not be our own words that we share, but your words that flow through our heart to the hearts of the people that hear. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to work with the words that they hear, the gospel, so that their lives will be changed and transformed by your power. Lord, may we be found faithful. Help us, Lord, to know your will and to do your will in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.